While you're turning to Genesis chapter 15, we're going to relook at some of these. This is my last service in this series about ex- uh, great expectations. Um, we're going to look again at all these times where God spoke to Abraham and these promises and pick out some key things. But before I do, while you're turning there, Pastor Gifford had spoke to us at a training thing recently that I was at, and he mentioned that he got a call from somebody in a church in our district that said, hey, we got a problem with this preacher you sent us. He said, you do? And he said, yeah. He said, well, what's the problem? He said, well, he doesn't preach from the Bible. He said, well, what in the world is he teaching you if he's not preaching from the Bible? He said, no, 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 he, he, he doesn't preach from the Bible. He said, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, he doesn't preach from the Bible. He preaches from his phone, an iPad. He said, well, listen, brother. He said, uh, he's got a Bible on there. Well, but we want him to preach from the Bible. He said, he is preaching from the Bible. Can we say some things have changed in our culture a little bit? How many of you in here that got your Bibles on your iPhones or something else? Raise them up. Okay, look around. See all these individuals? They are not texting. They better not be. They've got their Bible on their phone. Now, some people say, well, I can't do that. That's okay. You don't have to do it. I don't read it on my phone very often, but it's there in case I need it for something, if I don't have my other Bible handy. But Pastor Gifford told this man, he said, listen, could you just take your Bible and lay it on the pulpit when you preach? The guy said, yeah. He goes, thank you. (laughs) It's a generational thing, is it not? You know, everybody's a little different. There's different cultures, different things, and one's not any better than the other, but it's just a different society for different generations. It's just the way it is. We've got to keep moving. Amen? Genesis chapter 15, verse 18 says this, And the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Now see, we've talked about this. We've talked about these over the last few weeks. But it says, unto thy seed have I given this land. Genesis chapter 17, if you turn there quickly. Unto thy seed have I given this land. God spoke directly to Abraham, Abram at the time. Not about saying, Abram, I'm going to put you in this land to do whatever you want. He said, I'm going to give it to your seed, your descendants, your offspring. Genesis 17, 6 says, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, and I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore thou, and thy seed after thee, in their generations. Now you tell me, is that, is that not, as a parent, is that not an exciting promise? Amen. That I am going to bless your seed. I'm going I'm to take the land and I'm going to give it to your seed. They're going to be, I'm going to be the God of your seed. Now any parent in this room right now would have excitement if God spoke to them very clearly and said, listen, your children are going to serve me. And your children are going to receive all the blessings, greater blessings, the blessings that I promise you they are going to inherit and they're actually going to possess. Genesis 22, verse 16. If you turn over to 22 real quick. Genesis 
22.16 says, And said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Again, Another exciting promise, not only to Abraham, but also to the heart of Abraham to see his seed go forward and his name carried on and his children to be blessed. Not only are they just blessed through Isaac, but all your seed for generations to come, Abraham. Not just through your one seed of Isaac, but for generations to come. In this, the second uh, part of 17... And verse 18 has got kind of a double exposure here of not only God talking about his seed descendants, but look how it's singular. It goes from plural to singular. Look at it in verse 17. It says, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Again, a, a reference of Christ. And in thy seed, not only your generations of kids, but in Christ shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. You tell me, is this an exciting promise of God to Abraham? If God was to speak to Covington First Assembly this morning and say, Pastor Bob and all of you individuals at a certain age and say, hey, I'm going to bless you. Covington First Assembly is going to have the Spirit of God poured out upon it. There's going to be amazing things and your kids are going to see it. Would that be less of a promise? The silence tells me it might be. I don't know. Would it be less of a promise to know that our kids are going to see it? I want my kids to be blessed. I want my kids to be fuller than I am. Do you recognize and realize that these children, the, the descendants and generations of this promise, are the ones that actually went in and possessed what was promised to Abraham? You're all saying, where are you going with this, Pastor Bob? I think this morning, the things we're going to be speaking about and talking about isn't some great divine revelation that's going to make us all shout, but it's a reminder that the promises of God for us in 2011 are not just for today, but they're for the generations to come. Amen. Therefore, our children and our grandchildren. You see, when a farmer has seed, he has hope. When a farmer has seed in the springtime, he's got hope with an expectation of harvest. Amen? And Abraham knew that he had to have Isaac if he was going to fulfill the promises that God had given him. He had to have seed. He had to have a son. And God said, look, I'm going to multiply that one. You're going to have so many generations. You may not see it all, Abraham, but I'm going to give it to him. Do you know what I look at when I see this picture this morning? I see pillars and I see seeds. I see the pillars of brother and sister Holy Cross over here. I see that. I see the pillars of, of, of my grandma and my grandpa. Ruth. Ruth. I keep calling you Ruth, Reetha. Reet. It's because I always call her Reet and then I mix, mess it up. Reetha, your family. Reetha is a pillar of this church. Reetha has been a part of this church. She's in this picture as a young lady. You were a seed here. You were a seed. Today you're a pillar. My dad, six years old, was a seed. Today he's a pillar. Uncle Guy, though he's not in this picture because he was off to war, may have been a young man, a seed, but today he's a pillar. Do we realize that today, today, today's children are our seed, it's our hope, it's our future for this church. 
And we as the pillars of the church, those of us that are the mature believers, the Christians that, that are confident in our faith in Christ, have, we've got to instill and teach and preach the truth to these young people. This covenant uh, that was spoken was not only for, for him, but also the descendants. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 17... We're actually going to start getting into the meat of it here in just a minute. Matthew 1.17 Now this is following the exhaustive list of generations and, and uh, descendants. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon and to Christ are 14 generations. In that one passage of Scripture, we see much change. We see cultural change. We see society change. We see how worship changed. We see how ministry changed. In Abraham's time, he sacrificed on an open altar on the top of a hill. And from Abraham's time, you follow that all the way through to the bondage in, in Egypt until they go through the wilderness and then all of a sudden God says, make a tabernacle with all these items. And they built the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant all these things were in there and sacrifice was done by a priesthood. Change. And then from that time all the way up to David, the, the Ark of God dwelled in a tent basically. And then Solomon, David's son, comes along and he builds a temple for the Lord. A glorious temple, a beautiful temple. But then, they despised God and rejected Him and they were taken away bondage to Babylon. Again, some more change and difficulty. In Jesus' time, there was even more change and they were stuck there underneath Roman rule. After David Israel, David had ruled all the kingdoms around Him and then all of a sudden now, uh, they're under Roman rule and it's just a bad situation. You look at it, in Jesus' day, between His culture and our culture today, has there been change in the culture? There's been change. But can I challenge you this morning or I guess proclaim to you an excitement that there's one thing that doesn't change, and that's the promises of God. Amen. The one thing that doesn't change is the principles of God and who He is. God has not changed. We change. Our cultures change. Our clothes change. The way we do things change sometimes. But the truth of the matter is, is the principles and the, the promises of God have remained the same. Amen. From generation to generation of Abraham, all the way down through Isaac, all the way down through uh, Jacob and Esau and then into Jacob and his 12 sons and their 12, uh, those 12 sons' kids all the way up today have been passed down this expectation and promises of God. And every day, right now, fighting in the Middle East are those individuals trying to attain and accomplish just the land promises of God and have missed out on the true seed of that promise, which is Jesus Christ. But many of our brothers and sisters that are Jews have grabbed and grabbed, grabbed a hold of the fact they have a messianic belief that Christ is the Messiah and they follow and obey and they're tied in together with these promises. Listen, church, we have got to pass down the promises that we receive to our children. Amen. You say, well, what, what are you talking about? The same things we receive from these individuals. All of us that are in this room, you may know somebody in that picture, you may not. You may have family, you may not in that picture. You may be in that picture, you may not be in the picture. But I can tell you this, we are here today and we are standing on the things that we stand upon and the principles have not changed because of what those individuals have invested in us. 
It's true. So because of that, we can't find a happy place. You say, what do you, what do you mean with a happy place? The tendency is to say, this is where we're at, we're arrived, this is good enough, this is just the way it is. We can't do that. Because if we maintained where we were just in that little building, doing the same things we always did with the same, everything the same, chances are we probably without progression would not have continued to grow. But the principles have got to remain the same. The Holy Spirit distinctive has got to remain the same. I stand up here every Sunday and I look out at our children up here leading worship and knowing about what I'm speaking about today, I never get choked up on Friend of God. That song, I didn't even think about it when I pulled the music. The first song we sang is talking about from generation to generation. Second song we sing, we start singing about Friend of God. And, and over here, I'm, we're singing Friend of God and they're saying, I forget what it is now. Friend of God. Hey, 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 I am a friend of God. He's incredible. I am, And they're over here yelling this stuff, and it choked me up because I realized right now we're doing exactly what I'm getting ready to speak this morning. Amen. The kids, yeah, it's a little different. We're not going to go over here and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're not going to say it's incredible, but do you know what? They're getting in their heads that our God is a God that is incredible. And He's my friend. And that excites me. And I'm singing a song that I'm normally just singing through and I'm thinking about it, taking it in. I'm getting choked up and wanting to cry because I hear little kids saying that God's incredible because we're reinstating, reinstilling the very principles and purposes of worship into their lives. It may look different. It may sound different, but they're grasping it. They're grasping it. You see, in the order of succession between Abraham all the way up to Christ and even today, it didn't stop with one or the other. It continues on. The promises continue on. We're not looking for the Messiah today. We already know who He is, but I do look for and expect and watch to see who the Spirit of God is going to spring up in. Who's going to be our next preacher? Who's going to be our next uh, children's church worker? Who's going to be our next youth pastor? Who's going to be other than Sam and Amber? Don't tell them I asked them. I already took them. Looking beyond Pastor Sam and Amber to somebody else, but who are we raising up? Who's going to be our next Sunday school teacher? Who's going to be a missionary? Amen. My daughter, since she's seven years old, looked me in the eye at camp. She's, hey, Dad, I'm going to be a missionary. I said, okay, and I thought, I'm not going to push it because I let her hear from God. Not... And ever since, she's always said, well, I'm, I'm going to be a missionary, Dad, to Africa. God told me I'm going to Africa, and she won't let go of it. I'm like, okay, baby doll, whatever you want to do. You know that God, we, our responsibility is, is to reinstill all those principles, practices, everything that God is into those individuals. And here's a statement I'm going to challenge you with because I've said it before. I won't make you put your hands up, but the children are our future. These kids are our future. These young people are our future. Boy, we're all in a lot of trouble. I won't make you raise your hand and say who said that before because I think most of us have said it. Do you realize what a stinking statement that is? Do, do we realize it? Oh boy, we're in a whole heap, of, whole heap of trouble now. These kids take over. I don't know what we're going to do. Listen, do you have faith in God? <laughs> do we? I, I got to tell you, uh, these kids that are up here are going to do amazing things. I could start naming names, but I'm not going to. There's kids in our youth ministry that 
I'd, I'd put up with anybody. Just amazing young people. They've got calls in their lives that they don't even know about yet. Because I won't tell them. They've got to hear it from God. You see, if we instill the promises of the Word of God into our young people, it will spring forth. You see, because they're going to possess things that we can't possess today. Think about it. The promises that God has given our church, they may possess and I may never see. They may go into that land, that promise. They may be the ones to carry the torch when we stood back pious and, stood back pious and said, Oh, boy, we're in a whole lot of trouble when they take over. Probably would be for the two or three that we look at and say, Boy, we're in trouble if those two or three take over. But how do we know who God's working in? Look! How dare we say something about some little kid sitting in the back sticking gum underneath the pew? What's God doing? How are we to know what God's doing in their life? Amen? Would you look at me right now and say, Pastor Bob, we're in a whole lot of trouble. Don't raise your hand because there's some of you that might feel that way. The truth of the matter is, is somebody invested in me. Somebody saw a seed and said, there's hope there. There's promise there. There's something invested there. If we can feed it, if we can water it, if we can cultivate it, if we can fertilize it. And I've had a lot of fertilizer in my life. If we can do that, it's going to spring forth. And there's hope. Listen to me, church. The promises that God has for us expands and goes beyond generations. This is not something where we're going to arrive in 2011, 2012, 13, 14, 15, however long the Lord tarries. I may be gone. I may never be a part of it. I may never see it. But my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids may. And bless God because of that, because this is the most important thing in my life. I'm going to take those promises. I'm going to make it a little ball, and I'm going to shove it in their little mouth whether they like it or not. Because it's important. Bless God, is it not important? Because of this, we are Covington First Assembly as a multi-generational church. I said back in November, boy, i got to hurry, I'm going too slow. Back in November, uh, there was a month period, about a four-week period, where we, went to, we had Light the Night out here for an outreach for kids and families. We had the next weekend like women's convention. I did not go to that one. My wife did. Men's ministries gathering that next Sunday. We had a primetimers Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner like the next weekend. And then we had youth convention. And I attended all of those except for the women's convention. And April said the women's convention was good. So I trust her on that one. You say, well, what's your point? The point is this. We've got ministries. This is not including the things that happen on a weekly basis. We are a church that thinks every generation is important. We are a church that thinks that whether you're older, whether you're younger, whether you're somewhere in between, it doesn't matter. We love you and we want you to understand what we have received from Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, we want our older ones to experience it. We want our younger ones to experience it. And we want to invest in our future. Amen? Is that not what we do here? It excites me because we have all of these different things between rangers and girls' ministries and men's ministries. All these things don't look alike. All these ministries are done differently. And praise God for it. Because I don't want to go to a men's ministries thing and have it be done like the women's ministries. Not that the women's ministries is bad, but for men you might go, this is kind of weird. You know what I'm saying? We don't do our missionettes program, our girls program, like we do the ranger program. We don't do them like men's or anything else. We don't do our prime timers like we do youth. And our prime timers say, amen for that one. <laughs> amen? And here's the funny thing, primetimers, our youth are saying, and thank God we don't do youth like we do primetimers. 
But that's okay. Because it's a different generation. It's a different time. You're speaking a different language to a different group of people. But I can tell you this, as the pastor of your church, that the principles have not changed. I've spoke, I've been in, in youth ministry, I've been to convention, and I've seen kids. I told you when we were at convention this last year, I don't even care, I'm going to go past 12, you get to deal with it. Our kids were at convention this last year, and they were in a service, a worship service, an altar time. There were like 3,000, 4,000 kids there, people there singing and praising and worshiping. You know the presence of God fell in such a way that it was dead silent, and there was a tongues and interpretation. The tongues was over here, the interpretation was clear on the other side of the room. Do you know that everybody could hear it? In a room of five or 4,000 teenagers, you tell me if that ain't a miracle. God is moving in our youth ministries. Does it look like all the others? No, but that's okay because the principles are the same. And I stood up here with our prime timers for that thing in November. And uh, they had a, a man and his wife come up there and play the guitar and sing. And it's kind of funny because I, I catch a few of you looking at me like, I wonder what Pastor Bob thinks about this. Listen, I love it all. I do love it all. There's a place and a purpose for all of it, and I enjoyed it. I was tapping my foot. I was singing with all of you. It's okay. It's a different generation. It's fine. It's wonderful, and we need to have all of it. Amen? Amen. we got to have all of it. But we're not going to force the youth style of doing things on the adults, and we're not going to uh, force the prime timers, and we're not going to force the kids to do it like this. And the, Listen, we're not going to do that. But when we come in here, we've got to find some kind of a blend. And you say, why? Why do we have to have a blend? Because we need, for the sake of the seed, for the sake of the seed. You say, what? Why, why the seed? They, they need to do it our way. Listen to me. We, we have people in our church from their 90s down to newborns. This is a multi-generational church. There's people from every age group in this room. And we intend to keep it that way. And why I say that is, is because the promises of God are too big and too important to cater to one. Do you see what I mean? I mean, I'm not trying to be mean or harsh in any way, shape, or form toward anybody. The promises of God, here's what happens. If we find, if we set up a service and our worship and our style and everything that we look like only fits one, then the others will be gone. If we invested only in our olders, older generations and forget our younger generations, what happens is when all these other things that are designed and set up for them is over with and they become an adult and they're expected to be in here, they want no part of it. Have we not caught that? It does happen. So what we do is, is we have a combination of things where everybody has a chance to be a part of something as a congregation. And we try to do that because it's important. Amen. Amen. It's important. Those of us, you know, I, some people think that everything we ever did in youth ministry was my style. That's not necessarily true. It's not necessarily true. But it's an outreach. And I have to speak their language. Amen? I need to move on. But we're going to continue to be a multi-generational church because and for the sake of the seed. So how do we maintain a church that is multi-generation and receive the promises of God? Proverbs 22.6 says, Train or start a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. I'm not saying that my father's old. He had about that same look on his face right there. 
but he was trained up in this church. Where's he sitting? In this church. When you're old, you don't turn away from it. Does he still believe? Yes. Has he grown in his faith? Yes. And I could say this about anybody. I'm just picking on dad because I can't. But we grow up and we, we continue on in what has been established in us. May people stray away? Yes. But the promise of God is, is that if you train them up in it, they'll come back. When they're old, they're not going to turn away from it if they live that long. If you don't strangle them first, because there's times I feel like strangling them. So closing this out tonight, to today, this morning, whatever it is. Jesus had told, them, told the disciples and rebuked them because they tried to get the kids away from him. And Jesus said, Suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed and thence. He blessed the children. Do you think Jesus grasped and understood how important it was that his presence be in the lives of these kids? Likewise, so must we. If the First Assembly of God in Covington, Indiana is going to continue to grow and continue to possess the promises of God, we have got to invest in our seed. And this is how we're going to do it. Number one, this is only going to take me five minutes. I hope. We have got to present God to them that He is real. He does exist. And here's why. God is transcendent. You say transcendent. What do you mean? He was in the beginning. He's going to be here at the end. He was before the beginning. He's going to be here after the end. God spoke things into existence and God's going to be the judge of all of it. Amen? God is real. We have a culture and people that will say, you know, uh, that God isn't real and God isn't this. Our kids need to know that God is real and that He's got plans for them, a plans to prosper them, a plan to give them a future and a hope. Amen? We have to know and understand that God, uh, though our, the love in our culture grows cold, they know that there is a God that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. In a time when their parents are deserting them for little things that they want to do on their own, they've got to know that there is a God that's knowable, that loves them and cares about them enough to give His only Son for them. He's a God, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Amen? Our culture, secondly, often says that Jesus is outdated and was a relevant teacher for his day. Listen to me. If God is transcendent and Jesus is part of the triune Godhead, that means Jesus is transcendent too. And we have proof in John chapter 1 that Jesus, it was by Him and through Him that all things were created. He was in the beginning. He's going to be there at the end when He comes back. It was spoken of this morning by prophetic word. He comes back. He's going to be there. And in the end of all things, He's still going to be King of kings and Lord of lords. He's just as relevant today as He was back then. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the beginning and the end and everything in between. We don't need to raise up our kids and say He's He's just a teacher or even say he's just a prophet he is the king of kings and lord of lords he's our savior he's our everything and our kids have got to grasp that whether it's done by singing cute little songs over there it's done in youth ministry by hard preaching well however it's done we have to know and we have to instill this into our children if we don't we lose a generation Amen. we have to they've got to know they've got to know that jesus Jesus' culture was different. Cultures change. They say it's not relevant. His character, His nature, His teaching, His truth, His sacrifice spans all time and space. All of it. They say that he's, it's old-fashioned. It's old-fashioned, it's old fashioned, Pastor Bob. No, sir. Jesus is alive and well today, and He will continue to be alive and well. In a culture of self-exaltation, our kids need to know that humility reigns supreme in the kingdom of God, and Jesus showed it to us. 
In this culture that says that it's full of self-indulgence, our kids need to know that love is exhibited by, by Jesus in Jesus, not by what we can receive, but what has been given. That's the love. His life given for us. In a world lost in its sin, our kids need to know that the cross is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. Some even say, thirdly, that the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is irrelevant, is irrelevant for this day and age. Again, the Holy Spirit is part of God, is the third part of the triune Godhead. He's transcendent. We know He was there in the beginning. He hovered over the waters. Remember talking about it? Just waiting for the Word of God to speak, to go out and to speak and to create and to do what God said. He hovered. Today, He's, at, he's active. Some would say He's not active. You have to ignore the Scriptures. And can I tell you that Pentecost, Brother Gifford mentioned this during my installation service, Acts 2, 17 through 18, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons, your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. It's multi-generational. The Holy Spirit is multi-generational. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what nation you live. It transcends all of the cultures of the world. It transcends every society. It transcends time and space. The Spirit of God is living. He's active. He's moving. 1 Corinthians 13 says He's not going to stop until we come into perfection. What is perfection? That's when we stand face to face with the Holy God. He's not going to, we don't need tongues in, in prophecy at that point. We're going to hear it face to face from Him. Those things are going to stop, but the Spirit of God will still be present and active. Amen. He is relevant for us today. In a world deeply submerged in the occult and with a great desire for spiritual things, our kids need to know that it is possible to know God through the Holy Spirit. And you say, why? Because they have interest in spiritual things. The occult is growing. Witchcraft is popular. Those types of sorcery, all that kind of stuff is popular. There's a desire in mankind to have a spiritual experience, but they don't want the holiness and obedience of God. Our young people need to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in our services. If they don't experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, we will lose a generation to the occult. We've got to allow that to happen. They need to know that He speaks today. They need to know that the gifts are in operation today and important for the work of the ministry. They need to know the standard of a true spiritual work is a life lived in holiness. You say, why a life lived in holiness? Because that's not what anybody else expects. That's the draw of the occult. To go to witchcraft and have a uh, spiritual experience and have no, no holiness to your life whatsoever. There's nothing to obey. You're your own God. That's why it's idolatry. Our young people have got to know that the Spirit of God is relevant. And lastly, fourthly, some would say that the Bible is outdated and irrelevant for this generation. The Word of God, this Word right here, this Bible, it's not in my phone. I won't hold my phone up. I'll hold my Bible up. This Bible transcends all generations. It transcends all cultures. It transcends time and space. It is the spoken revelation of God to man. It is our rule and conduct for living. If we look at this, if we read it and we take it in, then all of a sudden what's going to happen is our lives begin to adapt to it. Our decisions that are made are based upon it and our lives will be blessed because of it. Our young people look at us today and, and they have all these philosophies of man out there and the philosophies of man say, well, it's okay for this. You know, holiness is relevant for your life based upon what you like or don't like. Based upon the Word of God, which is my standard of living, is where I decide what's holy and what isn't holy. Without the Word of God, they have nothing to judge it by. So we as a church, we have got to instill in our young people 
that God is real and He loves them. We've got to instill in them Jesus Christ crucified for them. His sacrifice on the cross opens the door to the moving of the Holy Spirit who is real and wants to be a part of their lives and to communicate and to lead them and teach them of all things. And not only that, the Word of God is here to help instruct us in all of it. Last verse, Deuteronomy 11, 18 says, Therefore, 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 shall you lay up these, my words, in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall teach them your children, speaking of them when you sittest on thine house, in thine house and when thou sit walkest by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, when you shall write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates. And your days may be multiplied in the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. If we, Covington First Assembly, will invest in our children in this building, and if we in our homes will make the Word of God and knowing Christ of great importance, we'll reap a harvest. If we will see the seed that God has given us and we will plant within that seed our hope and share with them the promises of God, someday we'll look back and maybe look back on a picture of our lives and we may have passed, but we will have instilled something eternal into those that we love the most. And they will take up that torch and they will walk forward boldly for the kingdom of God. And whatever the enemy comes in against them like a flood, they'll raise up a standard. And they'll stand strong and they'll move forward and this church will be blessed because of it. And the Spirit of God will move because we were faithful and we poured into them like we were told to. That's my message to this church this morning. The promises of God are not just for this day and age. They're not just for my lifetime. This church... Someday I, I will not be the pastor here. Someday I'll be gone. I'll be dead and gone. I'll be gone from this world. But I will have left behind and invested in my children and other people's children and families and other individuals something eternal. It may look different. It may look funny. It may not be my preference, but I'm going to tell you the principles will never change. Ever. And lives will be changed because of it. Amen? Amen. We're going to close out our service this morning a little differently than normal. Simply what I want to do is, is in light of this message, it, it would have been great to have the young ones in here. But I just want us to, I want us to team up as families. If you want to do your immediate family, that's fine. If there's extended family here and you want to pray together as extended family, that's fine. But I want us to catch a vision, a new vision, a fresh vision this year for investing eternal values in the lives of, of our kids and, and not only in the church but at home. Our, our, our older generation of people in this room look at me very closely. You have more to invest 
than anybody. You really do. And I, I challenge you to begin to invest, not methods. I want you to invest and say this, you've got to do this, 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 and this to be church people. I don't want that. I, I mean to look somebody in the eye who is struggling and dealing with an issue and you to share your life experience with them and say, listen, it's going to pass. I've been here before. I've seen this before. I've had to experience this in my life. I want to encourage you with my testimony because I've got 60, 70 years more experience of all of it than you do. Not to speak down to them like they're stupid, but to look at them in the eye and say, there is hope yet. There is hope yet in you. Oh, why it just hit me all of a sudden with Eutychus. Paul was preaching in Eutychus. I, I'm sorry, church. I'm just you're going. I'm following the spirit here. Eutychus was on the, the the threshold of a window, and Paul was preaching along, and he fell out and died. Do you remember that? I just when I said this, I saw a picture in my head of our young people, and it's real easy to look at somebody and give up hope. It's real easy to look at him and say, it's not going to work out. You know, we're, we're, this is dangerous. You know, if all oh, we turn everything over to him or her, this is hopeless. Listen, Eutychus was dead. Eutychus was, Eutychus was without hope. And Paul looked over and he said, listen, I, there's life in him yet. There's life in him yet. And he hugged him hard. He spread himself out upon him and hugged him hard. And his life came back into him. Listen, older people, this is a prophetic word from the Lord right now to all of us. Somebody, our young people don't need to be scorned and pointed at. They need somebody to hug them hard and say, there is life in you yet. There's hope. Don't you give up. I want us to pray in our families. Roger, I know Amy said she wanted special prayer for some healing. If you would pray for her with that this morning, I'd appreciate it. And I know the others, maybe your family will join with you and pray for her. But as families, I want us to just, just right now, where you're at, just get up and move. If you don't have a family here, find a family. Somebody will take you in, I promise you. If you want to pray by yourself, you can pray by yourself. But I just want you right now to begin to move with somebody and start to gather around them and pray. And dads, I would love to see dads lead this prayer and to pray for their wives and their children and invest the principles of God in their lives. Hey.